Okay, so Paul, let's discuss uh, something we've mentioned before about how your DC OCD allows you to avoid things such as thinking about your own mortality. And uh, kind of wondering, have you been thinking about these sort of real things, not just comics all the time? Oh, Dr. Henstrich species. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I've, I've been thinking about... You know what happens when I die. Uh, you know, right, I've, right. I've got some. I've got some solid thoughts about that now. Oh, will will you share them with me, please? This will be delightful to talk about something other than comics for a change. Um. Okay. Well, I, my death could motivate someone to be a hero better. Right. Or um, my death could be um, a bit of a sales gimmick. Or uh, perhaps my death will. I mean, I'll come back later, but I'll be in, reinterpreted and slightly different and. A, being handled by a different creative team. Okay, you're not doing this seriously at all, are you, Paul? You're still reading all these DC comics. No, 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 I'm not. No, I'm, I'm, uh-huh. I'm thinking about real life. Welcome to DCOCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're going through every single DC event from Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985 up to wherever we get to, whenever we get there. And at the moment, we have reached 1999, uh, where we're going to party like it is. Um, <laughs> right. So this brings us to a little event called Day of Judgment, which was a five-issue event. It had 15 tie-ins, and then there were two specials, one of which was a Secret Files, which you know you may not think is special, depending on your mileage on those sorts of things. So <laughs> uh, Day of Judgment. Well, we hear a new name in the event sphere at this point, and that is the writer Jeff Johns. Yes. Jeff Johns. I would say this is before he was Jeff Johns. Pretty much, yeah. I think this came out in 99, and this was like his first year with DC. Um, he started off with a DCU Heroes Secret Origins file uh, at the start of 99, and this came out towards the end of 99. So, you know, onwards and upwards. Yeah, he had a series Stars and Stripe. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, actually, very funny story about him. Mean, I remember him being on the boards of Stars and Stripe because there was a real vocal person on the internet who hated it. Uh, oh. Can you imagine such a thing? <laughs> Anyway, and he was always copping flack for the characterization of Stargirl in that series. And in the end, I think he got in touch with this punter on the net, on the net and right. basically explained where the series was going. Oh. And this guy got off his case. Oh. So, um, yeah, I don't think Jeff is doing that these days with um, Doomsday Clock or anything, but <laughs> no. that's how it started. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, but this one has art by Matt Smith and Steve Mitchell gets involved and uh, Chris Jones, I think, it helps out too. Uh, the letters were by Comic Craft, Mr. Comic Craft, whoever that is, um, coloured by James Sinclair and edited by Kevin Dooley. So, Mike, did you get your head around this one? What do you think it is? Pretty much in a nutshell. Through the machinations of the demon Etrigan, the host-free spirit of vengeance is bonded with the rogue angel Asmodel, uh, who then vows to destroy everything created in God's image. Of course. Uh, so the heroes of the DCU must come together to stop this literal hell on Earth, with three teams embarking on desperate missions. They need to reignite the flames of hell to stop it freezing over and sending home the hordes of hell. Uh, they also need to locate the Spear of Destiny, the only weapon capable of damaging the Spectre. And finally, they also need to search the afterlife for a suitable new host for the Spectre, with the big reveal being that the best possible candidate is... Hal Jordan? What? I almost feel like gasping, but that's for the other show. <laughs> Plus, this was, what, nearly 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I'm not that worried about spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's a very Catholic crossover. We've got heaven, purgatory, and hell. Yeah. And um, they're very traditional. It's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, nothing particularly weird about these. There are lots of people standing around in mist. <laughs> Yes, and bright lights, yeah. And bright light or in the cold if you're in hell. Yes. Yeah. 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 What type of event do you think this one was in our little uh, type of event scale? Well, it's clearly an occupier because it's just a cool story. It's a bit of a fixer in that it continues the redemption of Hal Jordan and it changes up his role in the DCU because after this he was the Spectre for I think all of volume 4 of the Spectre comic yeah I was almost going to say it was the launcher because of the Sentinels of Magic but uh, it kind of brought them together and then they didn't really do much else (laughs) after this which was a bit disappointing so I think it's fair to say they failed to launch in any way yeah yeah here's a new team who wants to see them and no one did yeah (laughs) not even the editors yeah (laughs) So, yeah, mainly Occupy and Part Fixer for me. Yeah, and looking at the books that tied into this, it just seemed a bit tired. You're getting a crossover from Anarchy, um, Azrael, Hourman, Stars and Stripes, Impulse, and yeah. then you've got a few other big books. It, it just seems a bit like no one's really interested. I, I think also No Man's Land was still happening in the Bat books around this time. Yeah, well, No No Man's Land went for 12 years or something like that, so... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, you've got two big-ish events happening at the one time, and that's going to cause a bit of fatigue, too. Especially if Batman's meant to be in Gotham all the time, you know, saying, I won't leave this city, and, you know, he's off elsewhere fighting demons, but whatever. It's it's a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah, so, and Jeff Johns, I mean, he was an okay writer here. He, he knew his DC universe, but it isn't the Jeff Johns that gives you the shocks and scares and the, oh, I didn't see that coming, and that's a really cool moment. I mean... When I think of the big deals in this comic, I don't, I can't think of any. Like, there's no moment that makes me go, oh, wow, that was awesome. I mean, I've got bits I like, and I, I think, mm. I think I really like the fact that Firestorm, without Professor Stein, he had the atom helping him out with his chemical knowledge. That and, was cool. And, yeah. And that's a, that's a nice bit of shtick, but you know, that's not awesome. <laughs> I did enjoy um, the return of Blue Devil, though. All right, because yeah. I'm a bit of a Blue Devil fan, so that that was nice to see him back. Although I'm not a fan of the look of him in this; it's just too much with the gold armor. But whatever. And and yeah, I kind of like the Sentinels of Magic co- coming together. That was a big deal for me because as you said, here's a new team, and then they went nowhere with it, and it was like, 
Oh, okay. Yeah. And they came back for another crack many years later with the new 52 and called them Justice League Dark. And that seems to have stuck somewhat, even though uh, the membership seems to rotate around a lot. But uh, yeah. Justice League Dark, I mean, uh, there was almost a Justice League Dark movie at one point. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. anything stand out to you? Also, um, I did enjoy um, th- there's a scene where the spirit of vengeance uh, has got um, Asmodel, Neron, and and Hal Jordan all kind of trapped, and gets each of them to plead their case as to why they should be the next host for the Spirit of Vengeance. I kind of liked um, Hal's admission of guilt and you know his need to atone for what he did as Parallax, but then he 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 starts to weaken a bit. He's like, you know what? I actually I, I can't do this, and he just wants to get out of there. But then the Spirit of Vengeance goes, guess what? You're it. <laughs> Like, too bad. You're the perfect candidate, Sonny Jim. Well, it's the perfect argument for Hal Jordan, where his argument is basically, well, I suck. Yeah. (laughs) Another favourite scene of mine in this is, towards the end of the story, Neron is getting punished when he gets taken back to hell, uh, and he has his royal status revoked, (laughs) so he's no longer... Prince of Lies is now just, you know, a bog-standard rhyming demon. <laughs> He's cursing Etrigan's name, and there's just this panel of Etrigan sort of in the shadows with this gigantic grin on his face. I love that scene. It's so funny. <laughs> but, I mean, there's the Faust, Felix Faust, the old JLA villain, has a um, a son, apparently, mm, called yeah. Faust. <laughs> I had to look up that his first name is Sebastian, but yeah, it's never. Ah. He's just referred to as Faust throughout the entire story. Okay, I thought it was Dave. Dave Faust. Dave or... Faust. That that's got a better ring to it. Dave Faust. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, they bring back the Enchantress. I mean, like Jeff Johns does know his DC universe very well, so I mean, he's tapped into uh, events in uh, you know Suicide Squad. So when they go to Purgatory, they see uh, Rick Flag as one mm. of the people stuck there because he blew himself up. Um, Mm-hmm. Even though the future comic book would reveal that he didn't actually die there, so oh well, uh, in you know retcon. <laughs> and the Enchantress, who was uh, a bit of a character in the Suicide Squad, very different to the the you know voodoo grooving one in the movie, but mm, uh, yeah. yeah, she's in it, and she gets uh, knocked off, so she is pretty much the the lone victim in this comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dave Dave Faust kills her at one point yeah. too restart the fires of hell and no one really calls him out on it they're all like oh wow all right yeah there's a bit of a grumble about it but yeah it's like oh well you know it we needed a- <laughs> means to an end <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah and it was like oh okay well you know as yeah. you were and that didn't really ring true to me i mean a, a guy straight up murders someone and no one's the heroes aren't going to stand around and go oh oh well yeah even if they are spooky, dark, magical heroes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've mentioned this, the, the, the how Jordan became the Spectre, and he got a Spectre series, and he was the well, the spirit of redemption instead of the spirit of yes. vengeance. And this is because the uh, previous Spectre series had now ended, and Jim Corrigan had sort of gone to his uh, heavenly reward. Mm-hmm. And then there was a story in JLA where the Spectre was running nuts, and uh, yeah, so sort of fed out of that that was a few months earlier yeah so specter role vacant um how jordan sitting around he's you know he's a name they want to keep him around so yep. bring him in as the specter and this was very much a, a sort of placeholder position for him and i don't think anyone thought it was going to last forever yeah and it and 
it didn't <laughs> as the truth came out. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing considering that Jeff Johns was, I guess, the architect of Greenland Rebirth, I'm assuming that he had plans to get Hal back into the, the Green Lantern suit at some point. Well, I, mean, I think that's a few years down the track, and I don't know if that was in the back of his mind. Or he was very much a, a newbie in the DC universe and mm. getting a pretty big platform pretty early in his career out of the gate. You know, it was like uh, DC really took a chance on him and it paid off big time. Mm-hmm. Though he did go over to Marvel for a little bit before doing Rebirth. So, But anyway, anything else that came out of this? Um, I can't really think of much. I mean, you could sort of say it's... You know, the Sentinels of Magic eventually become the Justice League Dark, but not really, not really. It's and, just, uh, and it takes them a heck of a long time to get there. Yeah, and they get they become Shadow Pact in between. Do you remember yeah. Shadow Pact? Oh, vaguely. I, I, I never read it, but I was aware of it. Blue Devil came back, and then he was eventually killed off again, and then came back again. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's it, it kind of just happens. Mm. You know, it's a bit of a... There's not a lot of sound and fury in this one. It just sort of happens, and it... And it ends and, you know, this has changed, but, you know, it's very much A to B as far as we're going to change the status of Hal Jordan. Here we go. They're done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then he magically fixes everything and New York City's fine all over again. You know? Yeah. I I didn't even know it was New York City till they said so at the end. Yeah. It looked like generic city. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just flicking through the secret files, and I did notice there is a one-pager story where it was revealed that the Enchantress isn't dead. So, uh, there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I need to revise my comments on that, that um, June Moon survived, even if the Enchantress didn't, and Faust came to to watch from a tree. From a tree. Kind of, from yeah. a creepy tree. <laughs> creepy watching tree. Uh, as, as you do when you're a, a badass, you know. Go on, <laughs> yeah. Go on, watch people from and- trees. Hmm. Anyway, um, shall we get into the scoring? We're, we're covering this one quickly tonight, aren't we? Yes. Oh, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Okay, so eventiness, that is our first category, and I am going to give it for a six for eventiness because even though, you know, lots of teams participated, it, you know, it really was just a, a blip. <laughs> in their regular books, you know, one issue each, and it was sort of like, let's just fight some demons or do something. And, and it just didn't feel like, you know, the big books had their heart in it at all. Grant Morrison's JLA participated, but in such a way that you would, you could do it without noticing. Yeah. So Asmodel came out of that uh, JLA story that introduced uh, Zoriel. Mm. And, you know, and then there was a little Zoriel miniseries called Paradise Lost. And so, you know, it's all sort of spinning from that. So, you know, the seeds of this are sort of in the Spectre and JLA mostly. Um, mm. And, of course, you know, Hal Jordan just hanging around <laughs> needing a new role. Mm. So, yeah, six for me. What about you, Mike? Uh, I gave it a seven. Uh, it's it's not bad, but it's not exactly going to blow your socks off either. Um, for, for me, I've only read the collected trade paperbacks, which has got the miniseries and uh, content from the... Day of Judgment, Secret Falls and Origins. So I really, I don't always feel this when I'm reading a, a collected trade of an event, but I think with this one, I would need to go and read more of the times to appreciate, you know, the quote-unquote scale of this hell on earth. Um, but I don't really feel the need to do that. It's kind of like, it, yeah, as you said, it, it happens and that's it. It's very A to B. Um, so I think seven's a fair middle of the road sort of score for that. Okay. Well, I did read a lot of the times and, you know, you don't need to, there's not a lot happening though. And like some of them, it's just like, eh, they fight some demons and some are literally, (laughs) you know, we're going to tell our own story and then chop, 
chuck in a little element from uh, Day of Judgment. Just oh, to, God, right. Yeah. Mm. On to the writing, Mike. Writing. Um, I gave the writing a seven. Uh, it's a fast read. There is a lot of interesting action going on. Uh, there's callbacks to lots of DC history. Um, and it's, it's a really well done piece from, from Jeff Johns still in his first year with DC. Um, I guess one of the big downsides for me is that part of the plot, mainly the villain's motivation, is a bit thin. It's basically Asmodel saying, hey, guess what? I'm still a rogue angel, and oh no, I've got the power of the spirit of vengeance, so I'm just going to go and destroy anything created in God's image. Mm. And that, yes, the, the heroes get together, and then they split up on the three different missions, and it's kind of cool, but yeah, it, the, it didn't blow me away. It was just a good action piece, really. It's just a saying. I mean, is he really, like, is he going, I'm not going to destroy the cuttlefish because it's not in God's image? It's a... <laughs> You know what I mean, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that's what's written in there. That's, that's what he yeah, literally yeah, says. You know, you know. What did you think of the writing? Um, I, I think it's it's good. It's good. Um, I mean, uh, I may have just been reading too much John Byrne lately, but it seems pretty good. Uh, <laughs> so I do feel like it sort of, it starts to rush towards a conclusion. Like the first two chapters are, are clearly the best. Mm. And then it just starts to speed up and get more and more dense and everything, um, which doesn't seem to help it. So, um, yeah, I'm going to give it a seven. I, I think, you know, it, it, it's fair to, to good. Yeah. And, you know, but it, it's, it's not great. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, on the art front, I'm a bit less impressed. Like I feel like, um, Matt Smith is a really good artist who's very good at doing a Mike Mignola impersonation. Um, I've got the exact same notes here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I personally like Mike Mignola's art, so, you know, that's fine by me. But towards the end, you know, uh, as the book goes on, obviously the time crunch for it with, um, you know, coming out weekly, it starts to get uh, really, really, um, the details start to slip away in the art mm -hmm. the faces tend to get more you know blank in the background etc you know so the first two chapters look really gorgeous and luscious and then as you go on it starts to just look more and more sketchy and you know rushed mm -hmm. yeah so six for the art okay i i actually really enjoyed the art um overall i gave it an eight for the art and the covers. Um, although, like yourself, I felt like I was looking at work by Mike Mignola. Um, and I did actually do a double check of the credits to confirm that it was Matt Smith on pencils and Steve Mitchell on arts, on inks, sorry, because, yeah, it, it looks like a Mike Mignola book all the way throughout, which is really weird when it's not him. Um, I also did really like the colours from James Sinclair. I, I just... There's something about what he did with this story that they to me they were just consistently vibrant throughout the story. I really enjoyed the the the, the colours throughout the the entire story. So I, I gave it an eight. Yeah. Okay, nice. Hmm. And what about uh, the impact and legacy? <sighs> I gave it a seven mostly for the continued redemption of Hal Jordan. And and this being another step on his journey towards returning to being Green Lantern. Um, but that's probably really generous, considering that nothing else really came out of Day of Judgment. So mm. I'll stick with it because I, I was a, a, a quite a Hal Jordan and Green Lantern fan back in the day. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll stick with seven. 
Okay, nice. Uh, that's the main thing. The 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 Spectre book that came from this, uh, the well, Hal Jordan. It yeah, it stuck around for a bit. It had two years or so. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a marker spot. So I'm going to give it a five. I think the impact and legacy. It, there's a little bit. It's not very you know spectacular. I, I to be honest, I was not attracted to the the Spectre book. Mm. I. I thought this is a bit of a dodge and it's not going to be for reals. (laughs) (laughs) As the kids say. (laughs) Yeah, so I I avoided it. I'll have to admit, the the character of the Spectre has never appealed to me. He's just like a a ghost guy. Like, okay, cool. He's had his fans. But, yeah, it's more about Hal Jordan coming back to where he's more famously known, I guess. So... Mm. But yeah, mixed bag all around, really. Well, the John Ostrander Spectre series is actually really good for okay. the majority. It's really good, yeah. But um, anyway, so that's our scores. So we're the full OCD people, but we have a semi-OCD person. That's Mark Sweeney from I'm the Gun podcast and blog. Have you ever listened to Mark? He has a fantastic voice, and he is 20 times more articulate than I am. And so let's see what he has to say. Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and I'm very pleased to have been asked by the DCOCD guys to comment on and rate one of DC Comics' crossover events, in this case, Day of Judgment. 1999's Day of Judgment capped a pretty remarkable decade of annual events for DC. Some were, of course, stronger than others, and some shared certain traits or themes, but as each epic played out, whether through a monthly maxi-series, dozens of annuals, or a weekly miniseries, with very few exceptions... Or exception, <laughs> Genesis. Each exhibited its own distinct personality, and Day of Judgment was no different. A story that literally raises a little hell, Day of Judgment by writer Jeff Johns, super early in his DC career, and artists Matthew Smith, Chris Jones, and Steve Mitchell, was told in five weekly issues, all cover dated November 1999, a proceeding, Secret Files and Origins, which were all the rage in the DC line around this time, an essential but maybe less than obvious prologue in a two-page feature in Green Lantern's Secret Files number 2 from the previous month, and a modest smattering of tie-ins from throughout the DC line, which were 15 in number. And I'm calling this amount modest only in comparison to the relative abundance of tie-ins in previous events like DC 1 million with 35, and even (sighs) Genesis with its 24. This kind of brings me to the first category as dictated by DCOCD's format, eventiness. Day of Judgment has the makings of a very eventy event. The threat level is high, what starts as a squabble between underworld entities Neron, of Underworld Unleashed fame, and infernal troublemaker Etrigan, escalates quickly as the demon enlists fallen angel Asmodel. The pair co-opt the rudderless, soulless spirit of vengeance, the Spectre, and use the ghostly guardian's near-limitless power to cause hell to literally freeze over, unleashing hellfire and demon hordes on the terrestrial plane. Like any good event, you get a fair amount of superheroes dealing with the chaos. You've got your big marquee names like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Juicy parts for heroes appearing at the time in either their own series or team books like Supergirl and Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern, but the effects of Hell on Earth also bring in characters without a home at the time. You know things are getting rough when the likes of the Atom and Firestorm show up. These two actually make a really great team in the series. And then seldom seen characters from the supernatural side of the DCU like Dr. Occult, Satana, and Deadman get good showings. 
But even with a mega-event caliber menace, and even with the cast of dozens, there's something less than grand about Day of Judgment. And I think there's a couple of reasons for this. First, despite Jeff Johns and the Day of Judgment team's ability to spin a good yarn, they seemed laser-focused on the end results of the series, a new host soul to bond with the Spectre Force. As we all know, that was to be Hal Jordan. And a consolidation and rebranding of the magical characters of the DCU, with all the action happening in the series in direct support of these goals, a lot of the heavy lifting with regard to the underworld invasion and its effects on the DCU needed to be done in the tie-ins, which is fine, but there just weren't that many of them. So despite some things I'll get to in the legacy part of my scoring, Day of Judgment felt too self-contained and wasn't as pervasive as many other DC events. I'm giving it a 6. Writing. As I said earlier, this was very early on in Jeff Johns' career, and at the time I was a bit surprised that Editorial left something as important as an annual crossover event to such a newcomer. But he handles the material well. His love for and knowledge of DC history is obvious. He deftly handles the large casts with the old JLA trope, let's split into teams. One group descends into the underworld to reignite the fires of hell. One group ascends into heaven in hopes of finding a willing host for the Spectre Force, and the rest are left to deal with problems at home. We get the Spear of Destiny. There's also a respect here for more recent goings-on in the DCU as the friction between Neron and Asmodel follows up on more recent events in JLA-related books. The cast is carefully chosen, and under Johns' pen, several of them get some nice character moments. The regret of minor magician Faust over the sacrifice needed to reignite Hell's flame. The Adam's mentorship of Firestorm. The heroism of a group of lost souls in Purgatory, characters like the Vigilante, Sargon the Sorcerer, and the Peacemaker, given one more chance to make a difference. And the continued distrust of Hal Jordan's motives by, of course, Batman. He'll eventually get over that, right? The very nature of this series' wrap-up and its major end results, Hal Jordan's assumption of the role of the Spectre, the modification of the Spectre's mission from Spirit of Vengeance to one of Redemption, is first hinted at in a two-page feature in Green Lantern Secret Files number 2. At the time, this sea change smacked of fan fiction to me, Uh, but of course I had no idea what was to come from Jeff Johns in the fanfic department much later in Green Lantern Rebirth and Flash Rebirth. But despite this feeling, at the end of the day, Day of Judgment was a well-plotted, well-dialogued series, and I think a great tryout for Johns for much grander events like the Sinestro Corps War and Blackest Night. Writing gets a 7. Artwork. For this category, I'm only going to consider the core miniseries. Matthew Smith and Steve Mitchell started the series on pencils and inks, respectively, while Chris Jones was brought in by the third issue to handle layouts, maybe for deadline reasons. I really like the art. It's got a Mike Mignola-esque quality to it, kind of a indie look. For that reason, however, I question its suitability to a DC Comics annual crossover event. I think DC kind of ruined me for event art by jumping out of the gate with George Perez, Dick Giordano and Jerry Ordway on Crisis, and John Byrne and Carl Kiesel on Legends. Every succeeding art team has unfairly had a lot to live up to. In Day of Judgment, when a giant specter is rampaging through the city, I want to feel that in my chest. I want to imagine what that would sound like. But Matthew Smith and company's work, while beautiful and visually appealing, has a certain quietness that might not be right for a series like this. 
Covers are attractive, though I would have liked to have seen a little more variety in their compositions in the first three issues, all of which include a front-facing group of heroes with some image of the specter lurking behind. If I were grading Smith & Company's work on a series like Sandman Mystery Theater, I love the work he did in the Blackhawk story arc there, I would give a much higher score, 8 or 9. But here, in what's to be a big, bombastic event, I'm giving it a 6. And finally, Legacy. As I mentioned, this series was all about Hal Jordan becoming the specter and a marshalling of supernatural forces in the DCU. The Sentinels of Magic, as introduced in this series, the loose confederation of magical characters like Zatanna, Ragman, Madame Xanadu, Phantom Stranger, were never really recognized as a team or held regular meetings or anything, but the idea of this group definitely laid the groundwork for series down the road like The Infinite Crisis lead-in, and familiarly named Day of Vengeance, and the Shadow Pact title, which starred a group very similar to the Sentinels. So with respect to a dusting off of DC's Practitioners of Magic, Day of Judgment was a success. The Hal Jordan Spectre got a four-issue feature in the Legends of the DCU series and a two-year-plus ongoing spitting out of Day of Judgment, these both issuing from the poetic pen of J.M. DeMatteis, you know, it took me a bit to warm up to the idea of Hal Jordan as a spirit of redemption. I ended up really enjoying that series with art by Ryan Sook and Norm Brayfogle. Can you really go wrong? Doesn't seem quite correct to say that this iteration of the Spectre didn't get a fair shake as long as it did last. But I was disappointed with its cancellation and Jeff Johns' subsequent great undoing of the work he did in Day of Judgment. In light of these two contributions to the DCU, though, I'm giving Day of Judgment a legacy score of 7, but the Green Lantern Rebirth tax takes it down to a 6. Sorry. So them's my thoughts on Day of Judgment. Once again, thanks to Paul and Mike for reaching out. I had a lot of fun rereading this series. And I guess that's it for DC events in the 90s, so it's off to the OOs for DC OCD. Good luck with that, guys. Okay, there's Mark's scores, so let's uh, add those up. We get 6, 7, 6, and 6 from him, which makes 25 out of 40. And because he's semi-OCD, we halve that, which uh, takes it to uh, 12.5, rounded up to 13. And let's add our scores together. So, Mike, your total was 29. Mm -hmm. 29, yep. And my total was 24. So we add 29, 24, and 13 together. And by the power of Grave Skull, it is 66. 66. So we're giving Day of Judgment 66. So where does that fall on the table, Mike? That is right between Eclipso the Darkness Within on 65 and The Final Night on 71. So that's that's kind of cool that, you know, the Hal Jordan stories are kind of that close together. Final Night and, and Day of Judgment. Oh, yeah. yeah. A weird bit of synergy. Hmm. Hmm. Uh-uh. Okay. Make sure you check out Mark's blog I'm the gun. It's fantastic. It's um, sort of named after, I think it's Balloon Buster, one of the, yes. the DC War characters. But his podcast is really good. It's really short. So if you uh, are burnt out on long podcasts uh, or medium length podcasts um, like this one, then you might want something really short. And that's uh, a really good one. And it's in and out. And he has a beautiful way of telling the story in comics. So, yeah. And speaking of uh, beautiful ways of telling things, we've got some feedback from Jimmy McGlinchey. So uh, Jimmy always writes into us, and we really appreciate it. Jimmy, thank you very much. Thanks, Jimmy. He wrote, uh, Dear Paul and Mike, another two great discussions about two great crossovers. So he's doing two episodes at once here. With no further preamble, here are my thoughts. 
DC 1 million, an excellent DC event. However, when it first came out, it was a bit of a head-scratcher to me. For a lot of Grant Morrison's work, you do have to read through it a number of times before you get all the little minutiae that he puts in. It was a fun romp, though, and definitely had the feel of the old JSA-JLA team-ups. I feel, however, that a lot of important plot points were actually included in some of the tie-ins, which, if you did not get, really baffled you. Thus, for example, Cronus's double-cross of Vandal Savage in the last issue came out of left field for me, as I did not collect the Cronus series. There is plenty to enjoy in this series. Uh, um, Justice Legion A was a nice look at a future JLA. Our man broke out of this series and enjoyed his own series, well worth reading, and was part of the new JSC A. While as a fan of the JLI, I really enjoyed Blue Beetle's cameo in this, it also cemented Oracle's role as the information broker for the heroes of the DCU. I did read somewhere that a lot of the writers did not like this series, as Morrison basically plotted everything and handed it to them, complete with the exception of Garth Ennis, who he just told to go nuts with the hitman. (laughs) (laughs) He sure did. Um, The art by Val Simix is excellent, and all in all, it is a great DC event. So, No Man's Land, this is the next one that Jimmy's talking about, a great Batman story and the logical result of all the various catastrophes that had hit Gotham over the past few years, namely the Clench virus in Contagion and Legacy, and the Earthquake in Cataclysm. After many years of Munch, Dixon and Grant steering the bat titles, we had an influx of new writers like Bob Gale, Devin Grayson, Larry Hammer, Kelly Puckett and Greg Rucker. They, plus many others, contribute to an intriguing multi-layer story that saw Batman struggle while the major villains took over pieces of Gotham, and his relationship with Gordon became very strained. I remember a lead-in story where Gordon was looking at getting a job in Ivy City to get away from Gotham, but when he overheard the interviewers laughing at his over-depends-on-Batman, it set him on the path to prove that he did not need Batman to get the job done. This, coupled with the realisation that Batman had been replaced by others in the Nightfall and Prodigal storylines, led to mistrust in Batman that played out in this series. This series had many high points, that discussion between Batman and Gordon in the garden, Montoya convincing Two-Face to let Harvey Dent defend Jim Gordon against Two-Face's accusations, the introduction of Luther in the mix, and the introduction of Cassandra Kane and the rehabilitation of the Huntress, the use of the Penguin and the ultimate as the ultimate barterer, and the heartbreak of the final days with Sarah Essen and the Joker. An excellent series, and I would highly recommend Greg Rucker's prose adaptation of the storyline if you haven't read it. Next up, Day of Judgment, an event that is rarely mentioned, and I'm looking forward to what you will bring to the discussion of this event. Best wishes, Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. Well, thanks, Jimmy. I have read the um, No Man's Land adaptation by Greg Rucker, and oh, yeah. I, I can't remember it. <laughs> anyway, I, we've come to the end of the show, haven't we? We have, yeah. Seems very quick. It does, it does. Well, mm-hmm. you know, it was a quick story, quick quick read, you know, quick episode. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, next time on the feed, we will be back with another episode of Waiting for Doom, which I believe will be the final episode of the John Byrne run. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're sad about <laughs> us reaching this end, Paul. I know how much you've enjoyed this <laughs> volume of... But I can't deal with the straight face. And then we'll be back uh, with more DCOCD, uh, in which the event being covered will be the uh, Young Justice Sins of Youth event. So, thanks very much for joining us. If you want to get in touch, you can uh, get in touch via Twitter at DCOCDcast, and you can send emails to DCOCDcast at gmail.com. And you can be like Jimmy and have your feedback read out on the show. Um, and we're also on Facebook if you want to talk about the show there. So, thanks, everybody, and thanks, Mike. See you all thanks. next time. Thanks, Paul. See you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.